Praise the Lord. Wow. I don't know what to say. That was incredible music. Oh, I do know what to say. So um, the concert last, how many were at the concert last night? Raise your hand. And it was a great blessing. And I mean that honestly, my heart was stirred. But I just want you to know that the music today stirred my heart, challenged me, encouraged me in a way that's just beyond words. And uh, as good as that concert was last night, I just want you to know, Cleveland Baptist, that the music today was absolutely glorious. It was absolutely amazing. Matter of fact, Pastor, I want to tell you something. You know what? I don't know. I mean, these concerts are all good, and you can have more groups come, I'm telling you. But you know what you need to have on a Saturday night at the 70th anniversary of this place? You've ever heard this, this show called America's Got Talent? Well, let me tell you something. Cleveland Baptist Got Talent. And you ought to have a Cleveland Baptist Got Talent night. And there, I'll tell you this. I'll fly up to hear this concert. What we heard today in music is unmatched, folks. God, man, that was just so good today. I praise the Lord for that. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13. I appreciate what Brother Clayton said tonight and Brother Jones as well. Man, the only better place to be at Cleveland Baptist would be heaven, man. And after Brother Jones saying, that was really good. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And I do just want to take a moment and I do want to thank everyone that was involved with this weekend. So many people were involved with the 50th anniversary from all those people that took pictures, just get everything prepared, decorations. There are so many people behind the scenes on a weekend like this. And I want to thank all of you uh, that had a part in it and everyone that's had a part with music. I love that group, those ladies that they got together and, uh, uh, and saying at Friday night and then again today, I just, I just, everything was just absolutely amazing. I want to thank all of those that were involved. And Pastor, thank you. It took a while to get us to finally together to get here, but I am so glad it all worked together. And you know what? I think this is when the Lord wanted me. And I know from my heart, and I told my wife, I told her Friday night, I told her Saturday night, and I talked to her twice today already. And I just said, Merrily, it has been just such a blessing for me as well. And I mean that. And I tell you something else too. I love your family, Pastor. I really do, man. I tell you what, those go now, Toby, I'm not sure about, but I will tell you. Those girls are keepers, man. Toby, I don't know, but it, but uh, yeah, look at you way at the other end of the row there. Amen, amen. Okay, John chapter thirteen. Are you there? John chapter number thirteen. So I had the great privilege to pastor a very unique group of people down in Pensacola for 18 years as the senior pastor. Before that, I was the youth pastor there for seven years. But when I left, uh, there, it was a tough time. And uh, there was just so many special people in the church. Well, I had an opportunity to pastor an artist. And I mean, this guy was the artist. I love this guy. And to me, he's the greatest artist I know. I'll tell you that. And I got to pastor a man named Brian Jekyll for 18 years. And uh, Brian came to me. Uh, he did most of all the paintings and drawings and all the Becca books and everything. Brian's just an amazing man, a great godly man too, filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, he's kind of the, the, 
the, the Roger of painting that you have here for, for hands-on. I mean, Brian Jekyll was just amazing in the gifts that God gave him. So he came to me and he said, Pastor Shetler, you've married a couple of my children. You've been my pastor for 18 years. I love you, Pastor. I, I, I want to give you one of my paintings. And I said, Brother Jekyll, I so appreciate that. But can I ask something? He said, sure. Can I have two? <laughs> and I did. I said, Brother Jekyll, can I have two of your paintings? And he said, sure. He said, what two paintings do you want? I said, I'll tell you the two I want. I want the one that you painted of Peter in the midst of the storm, walking on water, and he's sinking. And Jesus is reaching out and grabbing Peter out of the water. I said, I, I, I want that painting. He said, I'll, I'll be glad to give it to you, Pastor. He said, what's the other one you want? I said, I'll tell you the other painting I want. The other painting I want is the one where Peter's sitting in the chair in the upper room and Jesus is washing Peter's feet. I want those two pictures of, pain, with, of Peter and Jesus. And he said, Pastor, I'll be glad to give you both those paintings. So I, I got both the paintings. When I was at West Coast, in my office, I uh, did something. I uh, took one of the paintings, the one of Peter sinking in the water and Jesus reaching down, and I put it right over my head. I had it right over my head in, in my office. On the wall across from me that I looked at, I had the painting of Jesus washing Peter's feet. So I was the dean of students, which was a big mistake for the West Coast, but I was the dean of students for, I'm not a dean of students, I'll tell you that. I, I can do a lot of things, but for five years, I was the dean of students. I don't know what I was doing. But I'll tell you one thing I did. I had these two paintings. So when students came in and they would sit down, the painting that they saw was Peter sinking in the water and Jesus lifting them up. And I cannot tell you, I don't have enough fingers and toes to tell you how many times students sat in there and I always began with prayer and many times before I prayed, they would look up and they'd say, Dr. Shetler? I said, yeah. I think that's me up there. And I go, I know, that's why that picture's up there, man. You're Peter and you're sinking, man, and you need help right now. And only Jesus can help you from what you've been doing. Okay. So that was a great picture. But I got to tell you, the picture that I needed was the one of Jesus washing Peter's feet. Oh, I was vice president of West Coast Baptist College. Yeah, man, come on. I was dean of students. Come on, come on. Do you know what that made me? That made me the servant of those students. Amen. And I remember, I'd look at those kids, and I'd look up at that painting, and I'd say, you know what, Jim? These students are not here for you. You're here to serve them. Now, I really believe, I don't know, you know, for sure what's going to happen at the judgment seat. But do you know what I believe? I believe at the judgment seat, you know who's going to get the most crowns? Those that have the dirtiest towels. 
I believe it's all about now that you're saved, now that you've received the grace and the blood applied and everything we just sang about, now it's time to get our towels dirty. And I just want to tell you, Cleveland Baptist, I want to talk to you about the dirty towel church member. The dirty towel church member. Because as we finish up this incredible weekend, I'll tell you what we need to leave doing. We need to leave saying, God, I want to get my towel dirty. Tomorrow I have the great opportunity and great privilege, Lord willing, I think I have four sessions with the faculty and staff at Cleveland Baptist tomorrow morning and in service. And I will tell you, basically everything filters through this message. So I start my in service right now. Because if you're in the ministry at Cleveland Baptist and you're teaching at Christian Heritage, you may think, oh, my, my job is to teach algebra. My job is fifth grade. I'll tell you what your job is to get your towel dirty for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 13 in the upper room, Jesus is going to give an example, not only for the disciples, but he's going to give an example for all of us of what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. And I bring your attention to John chapter 13, if you would, in verse number one. It's the only passage we're going to look at tonight, but I want you to see several verses tonight. It's hard for me to read this passage and not make comment, so I will make some comments. I won't have you stand tonight, but I'll make some comments as we read through here. But this is an incredible passage. I did a whole series at the campus church. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was 12 weeks. And I entitled the series, Alone with His Own. And it was all the, from chapter 13 to 17, Jesus alone with his own, the night before he's crucified. It, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and then his high priestly prayer in chapter 17 is an incredible, probably the most intimate passage of scripture with Jesus and his disciples anywhere. But I just want you to look at the first few verses, if you would, with me tonight. John chapter 13, beginning at verse number one. Basically, the end of Jesus' public ministry is chapter 12 and verse 50. Now we go to chapter 13, and his public ministry now, his three and a half years of public ministry is now over, and now he's going to be the Passover lamb and die for our sins. Pick it up with me in chapter 13 and verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, this did not take him by surprise. This is not this Hollywood Jesus that just kind of drifts around and doesn't really know what's going on. The Lord knows everything that's going on. That his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now look at this. And supper being ended... The devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand. Okay, I got to stop here and tell you this. So, for 33 and a half years, there has only been one desire. 
And that one desire is to do the Father's will on this earth. And Jesus did the Father's will in all things. And it was the Father who was in charge of all things, and he submitted to that. The only passage of Scripture we have from the time that he was dedicated to the temple in Luke chapter 2 is the very end of Luke chapter 2 when he's 12 years old until he starts his earthly ministry. And there he submits to his parents. So everything was to do the Father's business and to do the Father's will. Now, it says in this verse something very interesting. The Father now gives authority to the Son. And the Father says, hey, it's yours now. Now, he's about to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to say, not my will, but thy will be done. But do understand this. According to this verse, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Who's in control now, the Father or the Son? The Son is now in control. Now, this is going to be very important in a moment. I'm going to jump ahead by by saying this because it fits perfect right now. What is going to be the very first response to having authority? Do you know now that Jesus is in charge The very first response to Jesus being the authority now of what's going to happen is getting up and washing the disciples' feet. Can I tell you, if you have any authority position, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're the husband, if you're a manager, if you're a supervisor, if you're a teacher over a classroom, if you are in an authority position, Do you know what your number one job is in authority? Is to serve those under your authority. And I think this is an amazing statement that he has all things into his hand. What does he do? And that he was come from God and and went to God. Now, verse four is our text. In verse four, there are three, actually four and five, there are three items that he does. In verse 4, and these are our three points tonight, chapter 13, verse 4, it says this. Number one, he riseth from supper. Number one, he took initiative. And two, and laid aside his garments. Number two, he sacrificed. And number three, he took a towel and girded himself. He had humility. And I believe that these are the three characteristics of a dirty towel church member. They take initiative, they make sacrifices, and they live and serve in humility. And after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Look down to verse 14. Verse 13, ye call me master and Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. And God's people said, Amen. amen. For I have given you an example. That ye should do as I have done to you. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things. Hey, everyone together, would you, do, would you say the end of verse 17? And then we'll have a word. Of, I got to say one thing and then we got, we'll have a word of prayer. But look at this. If ye know these things, what things? That you're supposed to wash one another's feet. That you're supposed to serve one another. That you're supposed to get your towel dirty. If you know these things, would you say the end of the verse with me, everyone together? Happy are ye if ye do them. Okay, number one, you're not happy if you know them. You're happy if you do them. Now, I want to share this with you, a little thing just before we pray. Whenever I go to a camp and there's West Coast students there, I do something with all my West Coast students. I get with them usually on Friday, the last day of camp. And I give them two $5 bills. And they, I've got our students and they're at all the camps and I did seven different camps uh, this summer and I did this at every camp I went to. And I, I meet with the, uh, and you know, some camps there'll be four or five West Coast students. Some camps there'll be maybe six, seven, eight. And I give every one of them two $5 bills. And I tell them this. I say, here, hey, just what I want you to do this weekend. I want you to take one of those $5 bills and I want you to spend it on yourself. You know, maybe get something, get a drink at Starbucks, do something for yours, do your laundry, whatever, I don't care. But do something for yourself that you enjoy. Buy a little something for you. It's not much, only five bucks. But spend $5 on yourself. And I give them two. I said, the other $5, I want you to do something for somebody else. I, I want you to take the other $5, and I want you to do something for somebody else. Maybe do their laundry. Maybe buy them a drink. Get them a candy. I don't care. But I give you $5. You've got this. Now, some of the, our West Coast students, you got to know West Coast students, they're going, can we spend 10 on some? No, you cannot spend 10 on somebody else. You got to spend five on yourself and you got to spend five on somebody else. And I look at every one of my students and I say these words. After you do both of those things, I want you to ask yourself, what were you happier doing? What did you enjoy the most? Spending the $5 on you or spending the $5 on somebody else? And I look at those students and I say these words, whatever you enjoyed more, if you enjoyed spending the $5 on you more than the $5 on others, then do this the rest of your life. Whatever it was that you enjoyed the most, do that the rest of your life. And you know what? I've never had a student come back to me and say, you know, I like spending the $5 on me more than I like spending the... No. God did not create us to live for ourselves. God created us to serve others. And if you really want to be happy, if you really want joy in your life, learn how to get a dirty towel. Because I'm telling you, Cleveland Baptist. After getting saved, the greatest joy is to be used in someone else's life. It's not about living for self. It's about giving your life to others. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight that what Christ did at that table in that upper room would just be magnified at Cleveland Baptist Church. Lord, I pray for every senior. I don't care how old they are. If they've got strength to be in this auditorium, they got strength to get their towel dirty. 
Lord, I pray for every child that may be in here. They may be nine or ten years old. They can start getting their towels dirty. I pray for every staff member. I pray for every faculty member. God, I pray that this church will be a church that gets their towel dirty. Father, I don't know what we got up ahead. But I'll tell you what, evangelism in America today and evangelism in Cleveland is not what it was when Roy Thompson got here. And Father, we need to continue to preach the word and give the gospel. But we're going to have to show people that we care and that we love. May we be known as the Dirty Towel Church in Cleveland, Ohio. May we be the ones that serve others and serve each other. Dear Lord, I pray tonight, maybe for some to recommit to something that they made a decision years ago. But I pray that every person tonight in this church would decide, I'm ready to get my towel dirty again. I'm ready to get my towel dirty for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think age, economics, education matters at all. I pray that every human being that's in here that knows Jesus would say, tonight, I'm making a decision. I want to be a dirty towel church member for the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to our hearts tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's dirty towel members said, amen, amen. Amen. All right, let's get started. Look at the three things that happen here. Look at that verse number four. Number one, he riseth from supper. He took initiative. Now, that's a really big word with leadership. If you're going to be a servant leader, there has got to be initiative. Now, what does initiative mean? I don't know. We could give a lot of different definitions, but can I just describe it to you? Initiative is taking the first step. When you take initiative, you take the first step. There are certain statements, they're not like necessary, they're Bible principles, but they're not Bible verses that we get all the time at West Coast. And I'll tell you, I mean, we hear this all the time. A week does not go by where we will not hear someone from behind the pulpit say these words. See the need, take the lead. Cleveland Baptists, let's all say that together. See the need, take the lead. That was terrible. Everyone together. See Look at the person next to you, point at them and say, see the need, take the lead. See the need, take the lead. That's what initiative does. Now there's three things that you can tell when someone takes initiative, uh, taking that first step. Number one, you step out of your comfort zone. The moment you take initiative and you're taking the first step, you're coming out of your comfort zone. Now let me tell you about a comfort zone. We all gravitate to our safe space. We hear all about the safe space. It's our comfort zone and we need to get out of it. Some of you have been sitting in your comfort zone, your safe space, way too long. Now, let me tell you something about my life. Everything that has been great in my life, everything, no exceptions, I'm not, this isn't a hyperbole. Everything that has been great in my life happened when I stepped out of my comfort zone. Never have I had anything great happen in my life that I didn't step out of my comfort zone. Now, you could ask this question, Brother Shetler, did every time you step out of your comfort zone, was it great? Yeah, no. 
No, I'm being honest. I can't tell you that every time I stepped out of my comfort zone, that was a great thing. But I can tell you every great thing happened when I stepped out of my comfort zone. Not, it didn't happen every time. You say, well, Brother Shiloh, that means sometimes when you step out of your comfort zone, it, you failed? Yeah, that's what that means. Do you mean that sometimes when you stepped out of your comfort zone, it didn't work well? Yes, that's exactly what that means. But I will also tell you, there has never been anything that I have seen God work in my life in a mighty way until I stepped out of my comfort zone. Man, I led my first person to the Lord down at Pensacola Christian College, going door to door. And I got to tell you, that was out of my comfort zone. I mean, I just never heard of this thing going door to door and knocking on people's door. And I got to tell you, that was totally out of my comfort zone. I didn't feel good about that at all. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything. But I'll tell you what, I got to lead my first soul doing that. And that, man, that was amazing. Listen to me. Take an initiative, you step out of your comfort zone. Now, some of you inside of your heart right now are not, that's right, Brother Jim, that's right, I did that, man. 40 years ago, I stepped out of my comfort zone and I did this or I did that. But you know what? We got to step out of our comfort zone every week of our life. There are people this week that you need to step out of your comfort zone. This does not feel comfortable right now, but I think I need to talk to this waitress. This does not feel comfortable right now, but I think I need to talk to this mechanic. This does not feel comfortable right now, but I think I need to step out of my comfort zone. And I just want to tell you, if you're going to be a dirty towel Christian, you got to make a determination tonight. Hey, tonight, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. Number two, when you, when you take initiative, you take responsibility. For the last nine years, I have run a camp called Joshua Camp. We do a leadership camp. And by the way, the very first lesson I, speak, I teach at leadership camp is the dirty towel principle. Because you can't be a leader until you, start, until you start getting your towel dirty. But I tell those campers, I tell those young people, I say, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. We live in a world today that nobody takes responsibility for anything. You need to start taking responsibility. You need to own up. You own it now, man. This is yours. Now listen to me. This is your church. By the way, Pastor, I thought was very interesting was... In almost every decade, okay, maybe not in the 50s, 60s, but almost starting in the 70s, you had about the same amount of people stand almost on every group. Okay, so there's been people in here that have been here for a few years, and there's been people that's been here for 30, 40 years. It doesn't matter. You've got to take responsibility for something. This is your church. By the way, I'm talking about little things. You see a piece of paper on the floor. You don't go like, hey. What's happening to the maintenance place around here? Man, they need to, no, you need to pick that up. Never have I ever walked across the campus of PCC or West Coast Baptist College that I didn't pick up trash. You know why? Because that's my place. That's my home. I own it. I take responsibility for that. And I, I, I got to tell you, you just, you just, you own it. Take responsibility. We do not need more people sitting in pews. We need more people taking responsibility for the church God's called them to. That's how you are. That's what it takes. He rises from the table. Look at, look at this. He rises from supper. Anyone could have done it. The meal's three and a half hours long, the Passover meal. Anytime. Come on, Matthew. You could go do this. Come on, let's, you could, come on, Andrew. Hey, let's go, James, John. Come on, sons of thunder. Let's get going here. Anyone could have risen from that table, but, but Jesus 
takes the initiative. He saw the need and he took the lead. He got out of his comfort zone. He took responsibility. And I'll tell you the third thing about taking initiative. You're not bothered by criticism because you will never take the first step that you're not going to get criticized. Well, what, what is she doing that for? She just wants a little more recognition in the church. You know, I just tell you right now, you're going to serve the Lord. You're going to get criticized. You're going to get criticized by Satan in your spirit. Like, what are you doing this for? Why are you doing this? What are you doing this for? Can I tell you this? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. A long time ago, I decided something. Jim, stop trying to judge your motives. You know, I'm really being honest. Because if you, if all you're going to do is try to judge your motives all the time, you're never going to do anything for God. I, I got to tell you, guys, I don't know if you asked me, and I was being transparent and honest, and you said, why are you here this week? Well, I believe I'm here to help this church celebrate 65 years. You say, well, seems to me like you're here for recognition. And I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I do not know for sure my heart. I'm being honest. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. If I'm going to go through my life, well, I would do this, but I'm not sure my motive is right. I'm going to end up never doing anything for the Lord. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts will be established. You know what? Sometimes you just got to go do it. Lord, I pray that my motive is right, but whether I don't know if it is. But I'm not going to sit back, well, I just, I, I, until my motive gets right. No, you just do it. You, and you're going to get criticized. You take initiative. You have vision of what God could do. And you have a vision of what others can be. He rises from the table because he says, I'm going to teach these guys a lesson. They're never going to forget. They're going to be dirty towel disciples the rest of their lives. And he believed in that. And he knew that. And I got to tell you something. You just got to take initiative. You just got to, well, I'm just not sure about that. No, and you never will be. You take a step. You come out of your comfort zone. You see the need. You take the lead. He rises from supper. Number one, he took initiative. Everyone together, if you're going to be a dirty towel church member, number one, you got to take what? Everyone together, you got to take what? Initiative. Number two. He laid aside his garments. That's right, Brother Scheller. He had worldly garments on. He had wicked, sinful garments on, and he needed to get rid of those things. Yeah, no. His garments were not sinful. They were not sinful. But everybody hear what I'm going to tell you. They were not needful and they were not helpful for what he was going to do. So he took his outer garments and he laid them aside. I don't want anyone to get this messed up and I don't want anyone to say, well, you're contradicting yourself if you were here Friday night. I absolutely believe that Christian education and a parent that has to pay for their child to go to this school, it's not a sacrifice, it's an investment. I preached that Friday night, I believe it today. But I will tell you, you're not going to be a church member, you're not going to be on the faculty here, you're not going to work on the staff here and not make sacrifices. Now that's a completely different ballgame now. 
We're not talking about paying for your child to go to school here. We're talking about being a servant here. And if you're going to be a servant, you will have to sacrifice. There's things you're going to have to give up. They may not be sinful, but they're not helpful and they're not needful. Can I be real transparent with you? Because I really want to help you tonight. When Marilee and I are in Santa Maria, California, pastoring First Baptist. And Pastor Chapel gave us an invitation to come as one of the vice presidents at West Coast and to be an instructor. Marilee and I had some conversations. And I'm going to be very transparent with you. I'll tell you what we talked about. You know, Jim, we're going to have to change our dress standards back to like what it was at Pensacola that we've kind of felt like, you know what, did it really matter if we wore this or wore that in our spiritual walk with the Lord? You know, we're going to have to make some changes entertainment-wise. Now, you hear this because I'm being very transparent, so you better get this. Marilee and I decided to give up some things so we could impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Amen. Things that we think that we had the Christian liberty that we could do. Let, let me just tell you this right now. You pray for these kids in that row. And I, and I got to tell you, mom and dad love those children. And their, their greatest concern isn't even this church. Their greatest concern to those kids that are sitting in that pew. And I'm going to tell you something. They give up things because they love Maddie. Because they love Mallory. Not sure about Toby. But no, 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 no. No, because of, no, they, I'm just joking, Toby. You know what? They get, and I did too. I had raised three sons. They were preacher's kids. And we gave up things that we could have done in our Christian liberty. But we go, no, I want to protect my boys. And we give it up. Now, you hear this. If you're going to be a dirty towel, servant of God, you're going to give up some stuff. They're not sinful. It's not harmful. But it's not needful. It's not helping you serve the Lord. You want to go with this? So you know what? You could have a ministry one time that work, that, that's needed Sunday afternoons. Oh, no, no. Got to watch the Browns. Got to watch Cleveland Browns, man. There is nothing wrong with watching the Cleveland Browns. I'm praying that they make it to the Super Bowl at some time. I really do. I feel bad for them, Okay. I'm all about the Browns. I, I'll, I'll cheer for the Browns almost, almost over most teams, okay? There's nothing wrong with watching. Hey, you know what? Man, if you live in Ohio and you don't like college football, something's wrong with you. But I'm going to tell you this. No Buckeye game is going to be more important than an opportunity to serve. And I'm going I'm to put that off to the side for the impact that I can have. Well, Scheller... You've just gone too far now. I'm just telling you, the garments were not sinful, but they were not needful, nor were they helpful. So he laid aside, he made sacrifices, entertainment, hobbies, whatever it is. If you're going to be a dirty towel, if you're going to be a dirty towel church member, you're going to have to lay some things aside. You put some things aside for the cause of Christ. You give up some stuff. Because of the work of Christ. You get, and man, our, our Christianity is so self-serving. Our Christianity today is so much about ourselves and about pleading. And you know, I have grace. And that grace is given 
for you to live righteously and holy. God's given you that freedom. We don't do these things because we have to. We do these things because of the opportunity we can serve others. Man, we got to understand we're not legalists. We're not saying you got to do this stuff. You got to do this. You got to wear this. You got to listen to this. You got to. No, we give up things for the glory of God. I'm going to tell you right now, he laid aside his garments. They were not sinful, but they were not helpful or needful. Last thing and we're done. And he took a towel. Wow. The son of God who lived 33, by the way, If any human being ever had the right to be preoccupied, if any human being ever had the right to have his mind on something else, it was the Lord Jesus in that upper room. Now you think about this for a moment. He takes the Passover meal and he passes it and he looks down at his wrist knowing that his wrist for all of eternity will never look the same. That there will be a print in, in his wrist for all of eternity. He takes his hands and he passes the Seder meal and he looks down and he goes, within hours, a nails. He knew everything. Sometime during the meal, he reaches up to his beard and he knows within hours that beard is going to be plucked out. Sometime during the meal, he reaches up on his brow and he wipes his brow and he knows it won't be long. Before the crown of thorns will be sunk into my skull. If anyone ever had the right to be preoccupied about what was going to happen, it was Jesus. And what does he do? He gets up. He puts aside his garments. And he picks up a towel to wash their feet. Come on. How in the world? Let me tell you something. His humility is unmatched. If there is an example of his humility, we see it in the upper room hours before he's going to be crucified and he gets up and takes a towel and washes him. So let me tell you about humility. Number one, nothing is beneath you. You know, Brother Shetland, this is a good message. And there are certain ways that I'm willing to get my towel dirty. Then you're not a dirty towel, church member. Because there is nothing beneath you. There is nothing that you will not do for the cause of Christ. Well, I don't do this, or I don't, I'll do this, but I don't do this. No, you know what? I'm not the janitor kind of guy. No, you'll do anything if you're a dirty towel. There is nothing beneath you. Number two, you're an example of what you want to see in others. Lord, you know what? I get all mad at this younger generation, but if I giving them an example of servant leadership, come on. Some of you that are older, you get so mad at Generation Z and those millennials. Well, let me ask you something, baby boomers or whatever whatever you are. Do you show them the example of what it means to serve and show them how to serve? You're an example. And then I want to close with this. Everyone has value. And everyone deserves to have their feet washed by you. Everyone has value. And I'm going to tell you one of the coolest things about this story. I'm telling you right now. If I know what Jesus knows, and I'm going to wash those disciples, there is one guy there that I am going to wait till he leaves before I'm going to do this. His name is what? Judas. Judas. 
Jesus did not wait till Judas left the room to go to betray him. Jesus got up and washed Judas's feet, knowing that Judas was going to betray him within hours. And you know what that tells me? Everyone has value. Everyone is important. Even Judas, who's going to betray the Lord. Jesus gets up and washes his feet. By the way, can you imagine what that eye contact was like? Man, that had to be powerful. Now, I believe, I've learned, I, I, I've, I believe that I've known that all of my ministry life, that everyone has value. But several years ago, and I close with this story. Several years ago, I was on a missions trip to Africa. It was a two-week trip, and I went with a guy named Brian. And Brian and I spent one week in South Africa, and we went to villages and the huts, and it was an incredible week. The second week, we were in Kenya, and I had the great privilege of doing a Sunday through Wednesday revival meeting at a Baptist church in Nairobi. The name of the church was called Thika Road Baptist Church. And the pastor was a man named Pastor Julius. I love this guy. We had the best week. Sunday, we started the revival all the way through Wednesday. It's Thursday at lunch at Pastor Julius's house. While we're eating lunch, his phone rings. He gets up and goes in the kitchen. It was a landline. He goes in the kitchen. He picks up his telephone. He's talking. After about two minutes, he walks in and he says, Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim, the telephone's for you. I said, for me? I said, I don't know anybody in Nairobi. He said, Pastor Jim, the telephone's for you. So I go, I go in the kitchen, I pick up the telephone, and I said, hello, this is Jim Shetler, other line. I know it's Shetler. Do you know who this is? And I go, sir, I am so sorry, but please help me. I do not know who I'm speaking with. Yeah, I figured you didn't. I'm going, man, who is this guy? He says, Shetler, do you know who this is? Oh, his voice is starting to sound a little familiar, but I'm going, man, I do not know who the... I said, I don't know. He says, college, one of your best friends. John. Yeah, John, were you going to come to Kenya and never see my orphanage? I went, John, I totally forgot. That's right, you're a missionary. He was one of my best friends in college. Okay, I followed him well. Okay, you know? I, I, no, I didn't follow him well. And I'm, and I'm going, man, John, I totally forgot. That's right, you got an orphan. Yeah. I talked to Pastor Julius. You and the other guy that you're traveling with are going to come out for a day. You're going to spend the night and you're going to see the orphan. I said, man, that's the coolest thing in the world. So John picked us up the next day in his Jeep. I think it was a Hummer. I don't remember what it was, but he picked us up. And we start going. Now, I got to tell you, I've been in Africa now for two weeks. And I haven't seen any wildlife because we were doing all this stuff in these villages and all these meetings. So now, his orphanage is at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. And by the way, if you've never seen, how many of you have ever seen Mount Kilimanjaro before? Oh, God, we got, it is like the, it's not a mountain range. It was just like this one big, huge volcano mountain. And it is gorgeous. And we're driving right along the base of it. And, I'm, and finally, I saw elephants. I saw these big water buffalo. I'm seeing animal. I haven't, I've been in Africa for two weeks and I haven't seen anything. And I'm going like, look at this. So he's talking about his orphanage, but I ain't paying attention, man. I'm not paying. I'm looking at all these animals. So he's talking. So we start getting close 
to the orphanage. And you could see the top. He has got, he's got a little compound. He's got six huts. And you could see the top of the grass huts. And we're driving down this, this, this little two-track, and this high grass is on both sides, and we're driving towards this little compound. And the children, he's got 18 of them. The children can hear the Jeep coming. So they start coming out. And I'm looking, and I don't know how far we are. Okay, maybe, 100, maybe, maybe 150 yards, and I can start seeing the kids come. And I noticed something right away. Some of them aren't running. Some of them are on crutches. And a little bit as we get a little closer, I'm noticing there's one child. He ain't got no, he didn't got a leg. And we get a little bit closer, and I'm thinking, I think there's one that doesn't have an arm. And as we drive up 20, 30 yards, I'm looking. And I know, I know how it is with evangelists and preachers. You're just going to have to trust me on this. I am looking at the 18 most grotesque children I have ever seen in my life. There are four children that had cleft palate surgery that did not work right. And their jaws are just split open. Their nose is just split open. There's a kid that doesn't have an ear. There's a child that doesn't have a nose. These are the most grotesque children you have ever seen in your entire life. And I looked over at John and I said, John, what is this? And he said, you haven't heard a word I've said, have you? I was looking at all the animals, you know. I wasn't really paying attention. Jim, these are the street children. I said, well, I heard you say that. What does that mean? Jim, their families threw them out in the street as trash after either they were born with a birth defect and they didn't want their child anymore or because of a surgery that didn't go right. They literally throw them out as trash and we drive down the streets of Nairobi and we pick these children up. I went, I never seen anything like this. This is unbelievable. That night at dinner, I couldn't eat a thing. I mean, just watching these kids, they put their face into the plate. Some of them didn't have hands. And the way that they ate, I just went, oh, Lord. After that was the evening chapel time. And we all got together. And those kids say, no, I just want to tell you, I never heard as a deer ever better than these kids. Now, I had to keep my eyes closed. I couldn't look at these kids. And, but they sang, oh, they, they sang, it is well with my soul. You sang it tonight. They sang it. I'm going, oh, wow, this is amazing. And they had a little testimony and they had a little devotional time and the kids went off to their huts. John comes over and he says, hey, Jim, tomorrow morning, before you leave, I want you to um, give the morning devotional in chapel. I looked at John and I said, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that tomorrow. He said, no, Jim, tomorrow you're going to give the morning chapel to these children. I said, John, I don't, I don't think I could do that. He said to me, is it because the way these children look? I said, yeah. I don't know if I can stand in front. He said, no. You're given the challenge tomorrow before you leave. Man, I went to bed that night and go, like, what do you say to these kids? These are the 18 most ugly, grotesque children I've ever seen in my entire life. And gang, I am not exaggerating. Brian Busey will verify everything I am telling you. I mean, I have never seen kids like this in my life. So I get in that chapel the next morning, little dirt hut, 
got little benches. These kids come in and they're, you know, they jump up on the, on the, on the bench. And again, some of them don't have legs. Some of them don't have arms. Some of them don't have a nose and ear. Some of them just, oh, it's just terrible. Well, that night I thought about something. I wasn't sure how it was going to work. I had a plan B, but I got up and I said, here goes nothing, Lord. And I got up in front of the boys and girls and I had a banana and it was all marked up, it was all bruised up like this one. And I said, boys and girls, I was so excited about speaking to you this morning. Do you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to eat breakfast this morning. Boys and girls, before I preach to you, would it be okay if I ate a banana? And they're all, yeah, Brother Jim, eat the banana, eat the banana. Now, I took that banana as if I had never eaten a banana before. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I thought I would try some. I had a plan B in case it didn't work, but I was just going to try something. I took the banana and I didn't peel it. And I took the banana uh, to put it in my mouth and I began to chew on it. Uh, and the kids responded exactly what I was hoping. They all started saying, no, Brother Jim, no. I said, no, what? Let me just eat my banana. And then I'll say, no, Brother Jim, outside, no good. Outside, I said, what do you mean outside? No, Brother Jim, peel banana, peel banana. Like it was the first time I'd ever eaten a banana, you know. And I go, peel banana? What are you talking about? Brother Jim, no, outside, skin, no good. Inside, good. I go, I don't know what you mean. And I took the banana, like it was the first time I'd ever opened one, you know. And I took it and went, oh. Oh, boys and girls, you are, boys and girls, you are so right. Inside banana, real good. Outside banana, not so good. And I looked at those boys and girls, they all know what they look like. And I looked at those boys and girls and I said, boys and girls, can I tell you something? You're outside, not so good. But boys and girls, you're inside, real good. Can I tell you something, boys and girls? Jesus didn't come for this. Jesus came for this. Boys and girls, Jesus died for every one of you. Because of your spirit and your soul is going to live for some place forever and ever. Boys and girls, it's not about this. Boys and girls, it's about this. And you saw those kids look at me. And you saw tears in their eyes. Because they know what they look like. And they know what they were. And I want to tell you this. We live in a culture that the only thing that matters in America today is this. And I will tell you right now, it's not the color of a skin that matters. It's the soul that's eternal that matters. And I got to tell you, we have a Christianity in America today that's more concerned about the skin than they are the soul of an individual. And I will tell you, Cleveland Baptist, you lose it. You lose God's power when this is what's important at this church instead of the souls of boys and girls coming off those buses. And you know what? You have those kids coming from the buses, it gets dirty around here, doesn't it? There's a lot of dirt you got to clean up. But I'm going to tell you something. Everyone, every soul that comes into this church, young or old, 
And it sure does not matter what color skin they have or who they are. Everyone that comes to this church matters to God and you ought to wash their feet and serve them with a dirty towel. So I tell you what, I'm leaving tonight or I leave tomorrow, but tonight I want to do something. We've had a blessed day. God has touched this church today. The music alone was worth coming for today. But I do believe this. We cannot be just hearers of the word. We got to be doers of the word. And I'm going to ask for right now, I'd like the pastoral uh, staff at Cleveland Baptist, the pastoral staff to come forward, if you would, the pastoral staff. And Pastor Folger, I'm going to ask you to come on up too as well. I'm going to have you guys come up and I want you to grab a hold. We went out and we got some towels for you guys. So take a stack of those towels. I think there's some down there. I think there's a stack here. Grab a, grab a stack of those towels. I think there's some way over there. Grab a stack of those towels. And here's what we're going to do tonight. Cleveland Baptist Church, on the 65th anniversary, I want to encourage some of you to renew your commitment to get your towel dirty. And I'm going to ask some of you, Lord, it's time for me to rise up from supper and take initiative and get out of my comfort zone. See the need, take the lead. This is my church. I take ownership. To lay aside some garments, some things that are fine. You could have them in your life, but they're not needful or helpful for the cause of Christ. And to humble yourself and say, God, everyone's got value and there is nothing beneath me. I am willing to do, do not come up and grab one of these towels. If there's certain things around here, you won't do. You got to say, dear God, nothing is beneath me. But I want to encourage you tonight, Cleveland Baptist. We've had a great weekend. You guys have a great heritage. But it's time. In the culture that we live in, we need to start realizing we need to get our towel dirty for the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. In just a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to have a word of prayer. After that prayer, we'll have the piano play. If we've got a, someone to play the invitation, just a song. And I'm going to encourage you. If you're saying tonight, I want to recommit, rededicate, or for the first time in my life, I'm ready to start getting my towel dirty for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to come up to one of these men. I want you to grab a towel and say, hey, I'm ready to serve. Hey, you know what? Don't be doing this if you don't mean it. But if you can say, you know what? I'm ready to take initiative. I'm ready to sacrifice. And by God's grace and for God's glory, I'm willing to humble myself for the sake of the souls of men in Cleveland and around this area. And dear God, I'm ready to get my towel dirty. And whoever you are, if God has spoken to you, let me encourage you to come on down and come up to one of these men and say, hey, I'm ready to get my towel dirty for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet and we'll have a word of prayer.